0: The following program is part of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations-China podcast series. For more information on the National Committee, visit us at www.ncuscr.org or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Weibo. Good afternoon. This is Steve Orlands, president of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, and I'm today joined by Richard Bush, who is both an old friend of the committee and is now senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, director of its Center for Northeast Asian Policy Studies, and holder of the Chen Fu and Cecilia Yen Ku Chair in Taiwan Studies. Richard has just published a book called Hong Kong in the Shadow of China, Living with the Leviathan. It is as I just told Richard, kind of everything you needed to know about Hong Kong in one place with ideas for what US policy should be and how we're, Hong Kong is going to look in the future. Richard, first tell us what made you write this book at this
1: time? Um, I do a book now and then again about Taiwan, but I get kind of tired of it uh, and so I want to do something else and uh, so I figured Um,
0: Richard is of course one of America's outstanding if not the outstanding Taiwan specialist and I have a previous interview of him on his book on
1: Taiwan. Thank you. Um, I knew that um, uh, 2013, 2014 and so on was going to be a very interesting time in Taiwan because it was uh, a time to attempt electoral reform. Um, I didn't know how exciting it was going to be Um, the story developed as I studied it, but another reason is that um, I lived in Taiwan as a teenager. I spent my formative years there, my parents were missionaries there, and I went into the China field because of having lived in a Chinese society for five years. Um, And I've had a great career. I owe Hong Kong everything. And so this is, in a way, repaying my debt to the place. And why? Did you
0: foresee the Umbrella Movement no. and the the Democracy Movement and the Occupy... Did you start the book before or after Occupy Central?
1: I started the book in 2013. And uh, I it was already clear that at that point this was going to be heatedly debated. The... Um, Occupy Central Movement, um, which was kind of a regulated civil disobedience movement, was already taking shape. But of course, um, in the event, that was preempted. The Umbrella Movement wasn't supposed to happen. It just did happen, and uh, uh, some activist students uh, uh, took over uh, the cause from their elders, um, and Um, The Hong Kong government wasn't expecting that. It was planning for Occupy Central, um, but I had no way of expecting that, and nobody did, Um, but everybody had to respond to it.
0: Mm -hmm. You have this interesting part of the book about, just prior to the handover. I was living in Hong Kong that time, and you have this very detailed description. Talk about the British attempt to bring some more democracy to Hong Kong before the handover, Mm -hmm. and what that meant for the post-handover period.
1: Well, the first thing that the British did in their negotiations with the Chinese on reversion, they got the Chinese to accept um, that preservation of a capitalist system required a rule of law, and civil and political rights. And so all of that was embedded in the basic law that was enacted in 1990. Um, And that was a good thing. Um, That, over the long term, had a a great impact on how things developed, because it gave the people of Hong Kong uh, the freedom that they needed Uh, to pressure the authorities and pressure Beijing on a variety of issues uh, including the degree of democracy. Um, At the same time, um, Britain uh, realized that um, it needed to expand areas of popular rule. Um, It had deliberately not done this. but it uh, took some steps, uh, first at the local level, and then in uh, the legislature. Um, after Tiananmen, it stepped these up um, as in order to increase the checks that um, uh, the system might have on the arbitrary exercise of Chinese power, if it were ever exercised. Uh, and the shadow of Tiananmen actually hung over the Occupy movement. Uh, Then there was the um, period of the governorship of Chris Patton uh, who was a British politician uh, uh, not at all in the colonial office mode or the foreign and commonwealth office mode Um, He um, tried to exploit the loopholes in the basic law to make uh, the basic law system of elections and whatnot more democratic uh, than it um, was projected to be. Um, uh, This, um, as you might imagine, uh, set off alarm bells in Beijing because they thought that this was a last-minute plot to um, bring to power um, people um, uh, who were more loyal to Britain than they were to China and that they would then use Hong Kong as a uh, platform for um, sort of undermining the PRC system. And this isn't long after Tiananmen when um, uh, the PRC was most concerned about um, uh, American and uh, British um, efforts to change their system.
0: Is Hong Kong today more democratic than it was under British rule? Yes. It is. Then what's the problem? Aren't Uh, we seeing progress? Why do we have this expression of such enormous frustration from the people of Hong Kong?
1: A couple of reasons. Um, Hong Kong is democratic in the sense that it has the rule of law and the protection of civil and political rights. Um, It does not in the sense that the key leaders uh, of the territory are not elected uh, through popular elections, not selected through popular elections. Uh, And the events of 2013 to 2015 were actually an effort to try and bring that about, to um, find a way to have the chief executive um, uh, elected uh, by a universal suffrage vote. Uh, The problem was that um, the pan-democratic movement, which basically pocketed the freedoms that Britain or that China allowed in the Basic Law, wanted more. Um, they were afraid that the system that Britain that China was setting up would uh, allow China to uh, control who actually got to run in a popular election, uh, and that they would use that power to exclude one of their own from running. I actually believe that at the end of the day, uh, the Chinese accepted an approach that would have allowed uh, a narrow pathway to a, the right kind of Democrat politician uh, running in the election and winning the election. Uh, at that point, though, the mistrust was um, so deep on both sides uh, that um, moderates could not prevail and uh, a solution that was good enough was discarded um, sort of out of fear and anger
0: So basically you, you would have recommended to the Democrats that they accept the compromise that was on the table Yes, initially yes. and they would have had universal suffrage with a nomination process that may have succeeded or may have not succeeded it was the, the argument wasn't over the universal suffrage,
1: no. it was over a nomination process. That's right. But, um, you know, in the end uh, the nomination process I think was good enough. Uh, the Chinese understood that the result of it might well be the election of a Democratic chief executive. Probably somebody that they could trust, but still that's a big step forward. Um, and um, there was an understanding from sensible people uh in hong kong that the democrats should take the deal mm-hmm. but uh unfortunately they didn't right. and and you described that in mm-hmm. the book in great
0: detail and i and i i kind of i share i share your view on mm-hmm. on that having lived in hong kong for many years also mm-hmm. i think it was it was not a good result for the people of Hong Kong or mm-hmm. the Democrats, because as you again describe in the book, it fell back to an older, less democratic system. That's right. Yeah. So now the nomination is sim- the nomination selection is by a twelve hundred
1: person uh, committee. That's right. Um, and tell us how that committee is selected. Um, the committee is made up of various um, social, economic, and political groups. Um, it's biased in favor of the Hong Kong business elite. It's biased in favor of uh, people who, by virtue of various positions, are um, loyal to Beijing. Um, the same sorts of groups get uh, over-representation in the Legislative Council. Uh, this is a kind of indirect rule, uh, or a united front rule. Um, This is not a system that the Chinese um, themselves created, because the British had similar kinds of arrangements, um, and they reserved um, extraordinary power for um, a business community that they had co-opted. So this is one of the things that, that China inherited from Britain
0: the book has a a part that talks about what the U.S. should do. Give us a summary of what you think the United States policy towards Hong Kong should be going forward.
1: Um, At the time of the Occupy movement, uh, the United States uh, played it very, very carefully uh, because they did not want to become the issue, and that was proper. Um, Since uh, the denouement of the electoral reform uh, I regret to say that uh, we see increasing signs that not only is electoral reform not on the agenda for any time soon, but that there are efforts to chip away at the um, freedoms uh, that uh, China had granted in the basic law. And it appears that perhaps Beijing is, has lost confidence in the rule of law as a fair and objective arbiter of social conflict. Um, Therefore, I think that um, uh, the United States should uh, make more salient the attention it's paying to the Hong Kong issue. Uh, Let China know that we're watching. Um, Perhaps there are things that we can do behind the scenes to encourage uh, greater Um, Dialogue between Democrats and and the establishment types. Um, Certainly, um, uh, if there are ways that we can help um, Hong Kong improve its competitiveness, we should do that. Um, We should remain watchful that uh, the Hong Kong system is a different system uh, from China's and that it has the autonomy that we assumed at the time that uh, the handover took place. Did Mr. Trump tweet we should stay
0: out of Hong Kong? Did I hear that he had a tweet which said we have enough problems at home?
1: Let's during the democracy movement stay out of Hong um, Kong. I don't uh, I don't know that, but uh, uh, as I say, we uh, kept a low profile role. Um, I think it was clear. So you think the
0: U.S. government has got it basically
1: right? That's right. a Hong Kong. Um, we signaled that we would like to have a competitive election. Um, where various segments of public opinion got represented in in who was running we did that in a very subtle and nuanced way but um, I think most people of Hong Kong understood where we where we stood so how does this play out now
0: in for over the next 10 years in terms of uh, the attempts to democratize Hong Kong Hong Kong and What is the NPC going to do, or is basically it's going to remain the way it is?
1: Um, I think there are three possible outcomes. One is that um, uh, uh, there's a muddling through, that uh, there's a test of wills between Beijing and Hong Kong radicals, including Hong Kong independence types. Um, I suspect that that doesn't end well. And if um, uh, the PRC government, as Hong Kong sovereign, uh, seeks to take away the freedoms that Hong Kong people have, it really doesn't end well. Um, My hope is that after the 19th Party Congress, after we have uh, uh, a new Hong Kong chief executive, whoever it is, after we have a new... um, set of leaders responsible for Hong Kong affairs, that um, electoral reform gets revived, that Beijing makes an effort to cultivate moderate Democrats, who are really the... the, provide the balance of power here, uh, and find some way that to um, pass something close to what was on the table in uh, the spring of 2015, Um, is different enough so that people say that there was a change, but uh, allows the possibility of a competitive election in which uh, the right kind of Democrat could um, run and win. Uh, I think that we've gotten to a point where that kind of electoral reform is necessary for Hong Kong to face um, a whole... uh, slew of policy problems having to do with the um, competitiveness of the economy and um, how um, the, the needs of the people, particularly the aging population, is, are going to be met. Uh, in this political gridlock, it's very hard to make progress on those issues. So This is a double tragedy.
0: The discussion today has given you a taste of what is in Richard Bush's new book, Hong Kong in the Shadow of China. It's an absolute must-read for anyone who wants to really understand what is going on in Hong Kong today and what its future is going to be. Richard, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you very much, Steve. It's a pleasure.